when I went to rehab and walked through all that shit and like sat through it and didn't have anything to numb that alleviated all of the deeper stuff that was going on. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Danny Lopriori, and today I'm joined by mental health advocate, content creator, and former football player, Jay. B. Copeland. JB, how you doing today, brother? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited, bro. Absolutely, man. I'm going to have a great time. So first of all, you played real Division One football, right? I did. I played at North Carolina through my junior year, and then concussions fucked me up, bro. So my junior year, I retired, but I got to play in some big games, and so it was fun. That's pretty sweet. I got recruited to play D1 at one school. It was Hofstra University. Okay. But then all the rest are, are, are what my friend Chris Stefano calls white division one. I almost went white D1. Did you play at all? No, no, no. I told the story on here a couple of times. I went to a summer camp. You know how it is like senior year of high school, then yep. freshman year you go in like these, basically these camps to show if they want to give you any kind of scholarship, whatever. Once I saw how big and strong everybody was compared to me, I said, oh, I'm going to come here and sit on the bench for four years. <laughs> I was like, nah. And then I went to a couple D3 ones and I did pretty well there. But I was just a, I was a horrible student. I was just so bad. Like, I was lazy. Like there's no other work around it. Like for you, though, you actually got hurt. So you had a legitimate reason not to play. Dude, I, I got hurt, but I also I failed three drug tests in a row and I got kicked off scholarship my senior year. So puffing cheeps. Yes, bro. <laughs> it's the only thing that would help me, man. Like, I was so fucked in the head. Like, look at it now, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. You know, you know, it's one of those things you, you tore an ACL. I was a three sport athlete in high school. Thankfully, I never had something that bad, but I had a couple friends tear their ACLs. I always ask the question, what does it feel like? Dude, so honestly, in the game I tore my ACL was my senior year of high school, and we were up by like 50 points. And my coach great, great coaching were douchebags. And we ran a fake punt. It was like the fourth quarter. And I was the lead blocker for you know the running back that was gonna get the direct snap. And someone just hit my knee from the side. And man, I didn't even really I didn't really feel anything. Like it, but it was just just like I got up and it was kind of wobbly. I didn't think I tore it until the next day, my knee was just blown up. And then I went to the doctor and it was, it was completely torn. So some people I hear it's like a big pop and it really hurts, but they said that it was, there was an old injury there from when I was in second grade and I was skiing with my dad and my dad was my coach as well. He was yeah. also a pastor and he was really tough on me. And I, he took me down, you know, one of the, the black diamonds and I twisted it and it popped and he second was like, and a black he, was like <laughs> he was like get up and i was like dad my knee like and uh i was casted from like hip to my the bottom of my foot for like Damn. six months 
when I was in second grade. And so that is what partially tore it at that age. And then my senior year, when I got hit, it just, it wasn't like this full tear. It was like the rest of it just tore. Yeah. Okay. Were you one of those guys that could smoke weed and like play sports? No, bro. Oh, okay. I, 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 it was always after practice. Okay. So. I hated those guys. They were, and they were amazing. I was like, I How do you do this? Dude, there's definitely something wrong with them for sure, because they must have been so crazy in the head that it just, it just brought them down to normal. So there was a kid I went to high school with. He averaged like 26 points in high school. Yes. And he was high every game. And I was like, dude, I scored like four points today. I was a, a sophomore and there's a senior around the bus and I wasn't playing as a sophomore, but we were on the bus going to a playoff game. And he's like, hey, take some of these. And he literally opened his hand and it was like just straight Percocets. And I was like, this is the starting running back. I'm like, bro, if I take this right now, like I'm, I'm going to like go to sleep. Yeah, no, I'm going to be on another planet. I won't be able to get <laughs> off the bus. So when did you start smoking weed, though? Like middle school, high school? So like I said, raised in a very religious home. And so I was kind of a late bloomer with all that. But it was my junior year. Going into my junior year of high school, we were at a country concert. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And so I can't even remember who yes. we were seeing. But that's where I spoke my first blunt and I fell in love. And so then it was just straight 10 years of smoking weed. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. So do you ever miss weed at all? It got to a point here in the last like couple of years before I went to rehab that when I would smoke it, I would get so anxious. Yeah, me too. That's why I can't smoke it anymore. It sucks. And so it, it kind of just stopped it for me, but at the same time, I was still taking other stuff. So like, I kind of just kept on taking like the opioids and, or Adderall or whatever I could do to feel normal, but I had to stop smoking weed just because it, it just made me so anxious. That was the worst because like first, like two hits for me, was always awesome. And then around the third one, like I would start thinking about like my mom dying, <laughs> like weird shit. You know what I mean? I would yeah. be like the first couple. I'm like, yo man, we're all homies, bro. Like this oh. is the best. And then I was like, yo, what happens to like the human body? Like a day <laughs> after dead. And then I'm like Googling that shit. And then that's, that's oh. when, I really started to get like anxious, but uh, just so you know about me, I went on like a 72 hour, like cocaine bender. That was my first panic attack. So when I had my first panic attack that I like had all the fight or flight symptoms going, I had to go to the hospital. I remember we were, me and my friend were playing NBA 2K together and I was like, oh my God, I'm fucking dying. Like I literally said that I put yes. the controller down. I was like, I have to go to the hospital right now. I didn't want to tell them I did drugs. And then I remember the nurse came up to me and she was like, anything you want to tell us? And I'll like pull their clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I like, man. It was like, all right, thank you for being honest. And then they flushed my system and like gave me liquid Ativan. Yes. And then I was like, oh, I can go home right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was Dude, like, sorry, I guys. I don't know if it was a story. You said that you were dealing with panic attacks a couple or maybe a week or so ago. Oh, yeah. But I had never had a panic attack until last april april 22 and oh, wow. at that time like i was just downing adderall dude like 60 milligrams a day just like i'll snort it if i have to yeah and it was like 11 p.m i'm laying by my wife and we had just made like you know the pizza you put in the oven like oh elio's baby yes and uh i took a bite of it and i don't know what happened but like my I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Oh, the worst. I'm not laughing at you. I just know. I know. Well, I know how you feel. So yeah. it's like, that was the worst feeling. And so we get there at like 3 a.m., bro. My dad shows up at oh. like 3 a.m. And he's like, they took my blood test and there's Adderall. They, 
amphetamines is what it says in there. He's like, are you doing meth? And I'm like, no. on. You're like oh, yeah. yeah, I know. That, <laughs> that was, was that the was the beginning of my downfall. So Oh, it's the worst. I remember that night my friend came to the hospital with me and I thought I was going to die. And I pulled him close too. After I saw some nurse, I was like, go home <laughs> to my apartment. And like literally like pushed him away because I didn't want people to know like I did fucking white and yeah. die from it. I was so embarrassed. I said, oh my God, I'm going to fucking yep. die from like a hot bag of fucking coke. I said, this is so bad. But yeah, man, they gave me that liquid Ativan. I was like helping them in there and shit. I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go home, man. <laughs> that Ativan makes you feel good, man. Oh, it my really gosh. Does. You know, yeah. and listen, uh, different strokes for different folks. I understand when it comes to medication. There's a disclaimer in the beginning of the show. I'm not a mental health professional, yeah, but I don't know where I would be without my medication. That's just me. You know what I mean? Yep. So yeah. Like, they put me on Wellbutrin last year, and that's what's helped me. A lot. All right. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. I was speaking on um, Lexapro. Lexapro messed with my wiener for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm brutally honest. No, I, I love it. It's not that I couldn't get there. I just couldn't get there. I couldn't finish. Right. right. So it's like, oh, man, like I'm just walking around with a boner for days. All day. Yeah, I was like, this is fucking terrible. I said, what is going on? That was the thing. It's like a lot of people are scared to start because of those things. But now, like, my wiener has returned back. Wellbutrin, I've heard good things. I've heard good things about Wellbutrin. Football comes to an end. Yep. Do you think there's any, like, correlation between, like, concussions and anxiety and panic and shit? Man, I think that there is a little bit with it. So I had gotten concussions. I played linebacker all my life. Yeah. Like you said, when you get to that level, it's just the – the guys are so big. I'm taking on pulling tackles and they're like 400 pounds. Yeah. It's practice. That's more dangerous. Yeah, That's where I got both my concussions practice practice. Yeah, man. They're the worst. They kill you. But the movie concussion had just come out when all this happened. And so like, it was like hyper, like if you get a concussion, like, Oh, you need to all these different things. So man, I attribute most of my anxiety and depression to, to trauma childhood trauma, not head trauma as much because I got better with my headaches and all that kind of stuff. I think that it did play a part. I don't know all the science behind it, but when I went to rehab and walked through all that shit and like sat through it and didn't have anything to numb that alleviated all of the deeper stuff that was going on. Because you're like one, you got a tough dad, right? And then you're also playing football, and we all know what the football mantra is: yeah, uh, don't be a pussy. Yes. So you know, chew some ice chips and get back in the game. How old are you now? I'm 28. So you were a little bit after me. I'm 34. Concussions weren't a thing yep. when I was a kid. So <laughs> like, if you got your bell rung, it means Take you're. It you're out there seeing double just what is going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So even into your generation, though, it was like, oh, you got his bell rung. That means he got a, his brain touched the wall of his yes. skull. You know that, right? Yes. Your yeah. head just doesn't no just knew. break. And then, like, you're going through all of that, right? You're trying to be a student athlete, which is a lot harder than people actually know, just from hearing stories of what people have to go through on this show. And then they start pulling your scholarships and stuff, like, What's your reaction to that? Is it like, oh, they gave up on me? You feel like a sense of like, oh, like I, I did all this for you guys and now you can just take it away from me. Yeah, I think for me, like I had really bad like father wounds. What my dad thought about me, what my coaches thought about me was so important. And when I couldn't perform for them anymore, like when I got that concussion and retired, I isolated so bad. 
to where it was like, yeah. I wasn't showing up to anything. I was in my room. Like I remember being in my room at UNC for months and all I did was watch the fucking challenge with Johnny bananas, like all the way through. Like, I was like, what? Like literally every single season of the challenge, I was like, what am I doing with my life right now? Yeah, just, just want, want to watch CT cracks. Yes, yes. Yeah, I that's that. all I did. What had happened was when I first got there, I felt a drug test off the rip. I was just like, whatever. They put me in this thing called the program where they wouldn't test you and you had to go to therapy. And there was like 20 of us on it. And we were just like, fuck it. We can still smoke weed. And if we show up to therapy and we didn't care, like I had never been to therapy before at that time in my life. And so I'm just in there talking to her and she's like, are you still smoking? And I'm like, yeah, I can't stop. And so I'm just playing this thing out. And then when I, I retired my junior year, I didn't, I didn't get tested for a couple of years, but my junior year, when I retired, they tested me the week after. And I was kind of upset about it. Cause I was like, bro, like, this is the only thing that's helping me. You knew you pissed hot immediately, right? Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm freaking out the night before you get the, te- the text at like 10 p.m. and like be at the locker room at 5 a.m. And I'm like, how the fuck? Yeah. I'm like at the sauna drinking all, you know, looking up all the stuff online, just like the worst anxiety ever. So I failed that one. And it's like a three game suspension. Well, I'm like, well, I'm not playing. So really, there is nothing that they're doing besides a slap on the hand. But even though that happened, I'm still like, damn, these coaches hate me. Like my dad hates me. You know, I'm worthless. Like I can't get my life together. So the team doctor prescribed me Xanax. This is what fucked me, man. Like really, really bad because when I took Xanax, I'd never taken it before. Like it took away all of my feelings. Like I was talking about Benzos will do that. Dude, when it's like when you drink water, it's like you're drinking Gatorade. Like, I don't know what it is about Xanax. I would like eat like four all-star specials from Waffle House. Like, <laughs> and you you're know, good. You feel fantastic. I spent, I spent so much money at Postmates for them just to like deliver me food. I started overtaking it. I started buying it from frat houses. I started selling Xanax. So I'd stopped smoking for a little bit. And then a year later, my senior year in the fall, I smoked like three days in a row. I got another text come and I'm like, I'm not even on the team. Bitches. Somebody was snitching. Yeah, I know, bro. Like, and, a snitch. and so I, I failed it. They called me in the athletic director. His name's Bubba Cunningham. Great guy. And uh, he was like, you're off scholarship. And I was like, my life is over. So oh. there were definitely extreme resentments there. That was one of the things I had to work through in rehab is like, I was at fault here. Like, yeah, yeah. Could, you know, I couldn't stop smoking. Yeah. they, I kind of got hoed, but it happens. Had no that's control. the thing. It's like, like I feel like resentment sometimes gets like a like a negative connotation. Like you can't let it control every aspect of your life, but every once in a while, it's nice to like prove something to yourself yeah. by proving something to someone else. For sure, it is. I think I was just in a state of delusion to where it was like it was everyone else's fault but me, and uh, I think that that fed into the place where I was at. And so I had to come to terms with, I got to take some responsibility for this. Right. Like, which helped me to release. Yeah, of course. Responsibility that. is the biggest thing I think anybody can take up for themselves. Cause it's the hardest thing to do. Right. It is. It's a very really, experience. Yeah. And, and the, the reason why I, did, I couldn't take it is because, you know, I'm living a double life and I want my parents to think one way about me. And it's like, if I own up to this lifestyle, then like, you know, the affirmation that I'm wanting, I'm proving myself wrong for like right. what my dad thinks of me is who I actually am. And so it's like, 
that was the point of me having to really, because you could yeah. say humble myself and be like, yo, sure. that's, this is me. Like, this is who I am. That was a cool moment in rehab when I, I showed him who I really was, because no matter all the mistakes, I always played it off. It was like, oh, you know, right. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it was. That, that was the only thing to kind of get you through the day. You know what I mean? You do enough mental gymnastics. You could fool yourself for a long time. Dude, every single time. And Oh, yeah. You know, they're the not gonna scary part is when you get good at it. That's the scary. Oh, and I, I got good at it, but I got caught over and over and over, especially in college. Thankfully, you did have that structure in place, though. Yes. That at least somebody had to put you in a situation to hold yourself somewhat accountable. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that's what you take from it. That's what you take from it. Yes. I moved on. I, I think that like, you know, when it comes to like AA and 12 steps, like I've worked those steps. I'm amends or like one of them i'm still in that phase of i think i need to make amends to north carolina and not all my coaches are there anymore but like i never got my went through senior day or got my jersey and like you know all these different things and i just kind of left it was just like jb's gone and i was i like that is buried in the past and so like maybe going back there one day and making amends or whatever i don't know it's a good future goal i look at it like this you had a 15 tackle game, 20 tackle game. Yeah, I did. Against LSU, huh? Yes. You're yeah. trying to hit that transfer portal right after oh, that. Dude, one. I know. I know, dude. <laughs> they must have been like, who the fuck is this kid? <laughs> that was my freshman year, and we were playing, uh, we played LSU, and it's like Leonard Fournette. And oh, yeah. Kung Fu Lenny. This guy. I'm going to tackle him. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, 15, how many did you actually have? I think I had like 18 tackles and a few assists. So like maybe like nine solo tackles, nine assists. They count them all as tackles. But yeah, I had a really good game. Taylor that night. Yeah, man. It was In Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was fun. I hope that you take those positive moments with you as much as like the negative moments. You know what I mean? Where you got though, it's like I feel when people accomplish things, and I'm not saying this is you, I'm just saying for the audience, but like. People kind of forget, even though, like, you could say, like, you fucked up or, like, there's accountability, still did something kind of cool. Yeah. So I hope that you accept it, like, yeah, like, I kind of lived a pretty cool life. I could have lived it smarter, but, like, it was kind of cool. I think my biggest problem is, like, I wish I could go back and play in the mind frame and state of mind that I am now. Because I I was just so controlled by fear and wanting to be perfect. and not mess up. And when I would let loose, I would be so good. We call it tight butthole. When you have a fucking tight butthole, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like I would be so terrible, but yeah, man, like looking back, it's like, I, I did have some really cool moments, but I think you're right. I've, I've let the the bad moments outweigh some of those. Yeah. There's things in life that we have to be tough about and, and get ourselves, you know, yeah. you yep. can't really run through life with a woe is me attitude. You know what I mean? But at certain times, it's okay to like kind of feel a certain way. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I feel there's a balance. There's there a balance is. between being like vulnerable and yep. accessible and transparent. And then also like kind of being like, I can't let this be my entire entity and my encompass everything that I am. You know what I'm saying? Because like you were a football player. You could have easily kept doing that. You probably could have went back to your hometown and coach football and stay in the game forever. And, you know, but you, you decided to go outside of that. You didn't, it's very brave of you to do. Cause I feel like a lot of athletes have a hard time transitioning out of that's yeah. all they know. There's sport. 
I think there might be actually just talking to you, there might be some more work to do with just that, because I think I just bar- I buried football and I, that right. was me. Then. And it's like, I have to do something new to reinvent myself or whatever it was that I'm thinking, but yeah, man, you're right. You can go back to UNC and be uh, like, Hey, listen, man, I, I made mistakes while I was here. Let me talk to the freshman coming in. Yeah. Yeah, man. That would, that would be something really cool. But yeah. that's the thing is when I did leave, like, all I wanted to do was make dad proud. Right. And he's on the executive team of a mega church in, in right. Dallas. And it's like, this is my only option. Like, I'm not thinking that out of my logical brain. This is like deep subconscious. Like, what do I need to do to make dad proud? Well, if I become a pastor, like maybe that will help me clean my life up. If I'm in this role or I, I'll be good. It's kind of yeah. like if you're a sex addict and you're like, if I get married, like, It'll it'll fix everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually made everything worse. So you became a youth pastor, right? I did. So how do you become a youth pastor? (laughs) I moved back to Dallas. You know, at that time I I had failed out my last semester at UNC. And so Mm -hmm. like I had all of my credits except like two classes I'd failed. I was kind of stuck, but I had this urge in me, like I said, to follow in my father's footsteps, which I learned a lot, but I came in as a volunteer on the social media digital strategies team. I helped revamp some stuff. There's like 10 different campuses that are around the DFW Metroplex. So I would go to campus to campus and help them. At that time, I had just gotten married and my wife is pissed that I'm working at a church. She's like, I did not marry you to be a pastor. Like, what the hell? And honestly, she's her relationship with God. Like at the time, I was like, you don't understand like this, right. Looking back, like she, her relationship with God is the most healthy of anyone that I know because it's so pure. And it's so like, it's not about performance. It's like her view of God, but I was kind of closed off to it. And so I was like, look, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to plant a church, all this, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. But our Dallas campus reached out to me and was like, Hey, we need a student coordinator which is the position under the, the youth pastor. And I was like, fuck it. Like I'll do it. And at the time I was like, okay, like <laughs> you said that on the phone. <laughs> yeah, fuck fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I took the job and, you know, pay is not amazing, but like, I'm just now getting married and I'm like, yeah, you're connected. That's something, you know, at least yeah. we have something and setting really low goals because this is like the only path I see COVID hits. And then August, 2020, they're like, Hey, we want you to be the youth pastor. And so from then to really April, 2022, the youth group is just blowing up. We're, you know, helping a lot of kids. It's inner city. Like a lot of it was like schoolwork and going in and feeding football teams. And that was one thing that helped me was, you know, I played in college and getting in touch with these coaches and, but I hated me. I was addicted to Adderall and painkillers and you know i'm like gotta go preach and i'm like huffing a vape in the bathroom like right before <laughs> like i swear to god dude like, hey, uh, like, god, god. Just god. <laughs> just corinthians i know it's like, terrible it, looking it, back it's terrible looking back but even just in the grand scheme of life it's hilarious it is hilarious you it's know hilarious. you gotta find the levity in like these total rock bottom moments because yeah. like if you can't it's it, the shit like it controls your brain too much. 
It's like I love thinking about the times like I drank six yeah. beers and played in a football game. Like yeah. whatever. Like it was yeah. it was a bad sign. It, it led to me having a bad relationship with alcohol, but like no. now I can laugh at it. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I definitely laugh at it. And like I oversaw a team of five people. One of them, my coordinator, we played football in college together. And Jesus. so like we had that relationship. I know. Yeah. And so he's like, bro, like I weighed like 175 pounds. I weighed like 225. And I was like, I look like death. Yeah. And uh, so I can, I can look back and laugh at it and be like, that was funny as shit. But at a certain point, mid 2022, I had to be honest with my dad and I had to be honest with the campus pastor and be like, look, I am fucked. I don't know what to do. I need help. And like I said, on the outside, it looked really good. Like the Dallas campus had always struggled. It was in a weird area. Kids couldn't get a ride, you know, single moms and parents couldn't get their kids. It's not, it wasn't like the suburbs where I grew up. And so it wasn't like right. this, but we were, you know, quote unquote winning numbers were high or whatever. Right. And I just was at my rock bottom. And then the panic ta- attack is what I was like, Chloe, my wife's name's Chloe. I was like, I got to go to a mental institution. Like I can't even control my physical body. Now. So feeling too. Yeah. And so my shoelaces. Yes. Your drawstring in your pants. I said, Oh, it's for real. Yeah, no, it is for real. And and so the first panic attack hit and it was like, okay, we're over that. But they came back like over and over and over, you know, and they weren't big ones like that one. They were like mini ones and I would know what was happening. So the first time I didn't know what was happening, but I could like try and breathe. So June of 2021, my wife really June 19th, my wife goes to my mom was like, listen, like your son is not okay. Like my husband is not okay. Like we need to figure this out. Cause they, they didn't know. They probably had their thoughts on, I probably wasn't great, but you know, at the same time, I'm a pastor. How could a pastor do this? Or even right. the, even the students like and our team and, you know, our campus pastor would be like, man, you look really skinny. And I'd be like, fuck off. Like, yeah, yeah. They smoke you know more I mean? than you. Bro. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so everyone kind of knew, but when she told my parents, like two days later, my dad called me and was like, you're going to rehab or I'm firing you. And I was like, rehab it is. So they put me on FMLA and man, I called my campus pastor and, and I was like, look, his name's pastor Steve. He's a, he's one of the greatest dudes I know. He's, he's always been so chill and he's always helped me and spoke. He's always spoken life into me. It's like the exact opposite of what the coaches I had known. And even my dad in the, the year, the early years, there's like, it was like this, a really good relationship. And he goes, man, you need to, he's like, you're in a stormy place right now and you need yeah. to go to the calm waters to heal. And I was like, yeah, I got to get out of this environment. Like I got to go. And like, that was the biggest thing was getting out of this environment from people to things going on and going away with, I didn't know, I'd never been to rehab before. I wasn't really into the whole mental health world, but when I went, it was in the middle of nowhere on a farm. It's like this big mansion and 20 other dudes that were from all walks of life, you know, from a millionaires to 18 year old kids with autism. Like I was like, where am I right now? Like, but I, I literally fell in love with these guys and being with them. And so that that's that's the ultimate come to Jesus meeting. Yes. That one right there. All of us just all in pain, all of us family, like 
hearing their stories and like what they've been, and it was, it was a, for addiction. So like everyone had their own addiction, whether it be cocaine or yeah, all, or, you know, a lot of guys in there were in there for fentanyl and like, which I was just like, damn, it's tough. Right. When you walk in there, you're like, I, when yeah. I walked in, I kind of was like, Oh, darn, I think I made a mistake. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Problems in here. But then you realize like, Oh no, like there's levels to like issues. Like you guys were all put there in yes. that place together. I used to love group. I thought group was the best. Yes. Group was the best. All group therapy was how we did. I needed those dudes with me. And like, I came in and they knew I was a youth pastor. Like, but that was where I finally let my hair down. If you'd say, I was just like, fuck it. Like I gotta be me. And like, I'm not going to be able to heal if I don't be me. Like, I can't keep faking. Like, this is who I am. And, you know, they'd ask me questions about God and be like, I'd be like, bro, like, I don't think I know God. The first thing that my counselor told me, and he was a Buddhist, and this man helped me more than anyone that's ever helped me before. His name's Dave. And he's a, a Buddhist. And he he said, I want you to forget everything you know about God. And that was a scary thought because like, you know, yeah, but I like dad hear that. Yeah. <laughs> dude. Yeah. So yeah, man, it was, it was rough. So the first week I was there, it was detox. So I'm on like Suboxone and stuff. And so I'm oh, like, yeah, just to oh, get through. I'm like, this is okay. I can do this. Week two is when the shit hit the fan. And this is something that I've told people. And like, some people don't agree with me, but like, this is what I feel like God told me. It was like 3 a.m. I'm in a room with five other dudes. They're snoring. I'm like crawling, trying to get out of my skin. It was like the panic was coming. You don't have a phone. You don't have any contact. You don't have anything to numb it. Like you have to sit in it. And I swear this thought came up that was so loud. And it was like, it was just like, let that bitch die. And I was like, I didn't say that. And I was like, who said that? And it was again, let that bitch die. I know that that's not something that people would think God would say. Right. And maybe it wasn't God, but it was something that really helped me in that moment because he was talking about the pride and ego that the shit that had been torturing me for so long, like you fed it for so long, like it's time to starve it. And yeah, the next day I felt like shit. And a few days after I felt like shit, but like I held on to that, let that bitch die. And it slowly did. It slowly died as I was there. That's dope. I feel like uh, everybody can have their own like version of God. You know what I'm saying? So like, this is my whole thing with God, right? Until somebody can like really explain to me how like the entire universe and planets work and shit, like I'm going to believe science and God are like the same thing. Yes. You know, like this is how this is how I was kind of raised, and then it's a mixture of like how I feel individually, right? And it's like everyone thinks they have the answers, and it's like I thought I had the answers, but like at the end of the day, I don't, and no. that's okay. But like I know I had a spiritual experience there that changed my life, and hell yeah, man! Oh so, yeah, bro. That, trust me, man. When I was in there too. I remember I had a paranoid schizophrenic roommate. He, he all the time say I stole his clothes and people were coming after him. I remember when you don't have a phone or TV or you, you can't talk to anybody, you start <laughs> staring in the darkness. You're like, I remember I, I spoke to God every night. I said, yeah. God, you get me out of here. I swear I'll change my entire life. Yes. I said, yeah. if, please, if you just get me out of what I'm feeling right now, I'll change my entire life. And I changed my entire life. And I, I can't not give credit where it's due. I just can't. Right. You know, I mean, every other word out of my mouth is fuck. I'm sure, you know, God doesn't really love that, but maybe he does. Because maybe if God he does. Die, 
Listen, yeah. Jesus put the table over. You can't tell me I didn't talk. He, he was a badass, dude. Yeah. He was. Like, he we, was cursed in Aramaic. Yeah, he probably was. That's the other thing about the Bible. Like that shit's been like written and then like translated by over and over and over. And it's like, how do we like all I know is the personal connection that I had with him while that's I was it. there. And that's carried over. And yeah, the verses are really good. And and it's helped me a lot. And like scriptures help me. But like my parents would like send me scriptures. I'll be like, this shit does not help me right now. Like I need yeah. like deeper work. This is not helping. Like. You're like, you know, I need to go to a hospital, though. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unless God's going to come down here before an open brain surgery. Yes. Go to the doctor right now. Yes, exactly. What's your relationship like with dad now? Man, so a lot of things happened over over short period of time. You're, this is still like new for you. That's why I'm very like yeah. anxious just talking to you because I remember it being so fresh. You know yeah. what I mean? Like really feeling and like being yeah. in the trenches with the whole thing. I got out August 12th of last year. So it's just been a little bit over a year since I got out, but through rehab, like I said, I had to forget who God was. And like, but when you're in those moments, like your brain can begin to obsess over things and like the worry will take over. So like, I was like worrying about really weird shit. You can't numb anything. So like the first thing that was like on the docket for me to obsess over for some reason was, okay, how am I going to pay 60 grand to be here? Like, oh yeah, I don't even make 60 grand in a year. I obsessed over it. And I felt like God just said, yo, will you just like give it to me and like, just chill. And so I would just be like, yo, God, like you're going to have to take care of this shit. I don't have the energy for it. I would go on walks. Oh, just please take care of this. Like, cause that's all I could do, man. Three weeks in, they call me in and we're like, Hey, we're putting you on scholarship and we're paying for this. And I was like, yo, that was the first thing where I was like, okay, God, like you love me. I didn't know, like you got me. Like. And you like me being no. me because I was being me. And the second thing that I started obsessing over was like my family. Like, is my wife going to leave me? Like I'd put her through hell for years and the lying and, you know, hiding and my parents, like, man, like it was really hard, but the last week of rehab was family week. And so that shit was on my brain yeah, all day, every day, because it was like, okay, I'm going to have to get honest with my dad. I did multiple psychodrama sessions where like a friend that was there with me sat in as my dad and I would have to tell him, you know, and that that's nerve wracking for a people pleaser, which is what I was like. And I'm sure that you were afraid of your dad. Yeah, I was. And I was afraid of what he thought about me, of you course. know, and, and, so, and in a sense though, like dads are supposed to like teach us like not to be fearful. Right. But yeah. in, in that moment, like you're making me afraid of you. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, it was pretty backwards. And that was one of the things is, is I love my dad and we've come, we've grown so much over the last year, but he didn't know how to handle this. Here's the thing is what I've realized is every man in his life has essentially left him on red. Like his, yeah. his dad underfathered him, didn't ever give him the love that he needed. Like his bosses, like just terrible stories where men in his life have not affirmed him. Yeah. And so his goal, you know, the pendulum swung to where he overfathered me and it, he loved me. Like, I know that he loved me. Like he told me he loved me, but he didn't know how to love me because no one had showed him how to love, to love himself and what right. it meant to be loved by a father. And so the first few weeks, every single day, I got a letter from him and they were like rough letters. To where yeah. I was like, look at what you've done. Like it was this finger pointing. And I thought that was normal. 
And my counselor got a hold of the letters. And bro, this man freaked out. Like he's like, you do not open another one of these. <laughs> I couldn't imagine what he's bro. Dude. He's like, what the fuck is this? Dude, the I swear to God. That's crazy. Stack. And they wouldn't let me open it. And they called him and were like, do not send him another letter. You're you're hurting him. You're not helping him. Yeah, no. geez. So with that, I'm like freaking out because I we got family week coming up. My wife's coming and, and her relationship with my family was not great. You know, like she's like, these are weird ass religious people that have fucked up my husband. You know, that's her thought. Right. And, you know, my mom and my dad and my two little brothers. I'm the firstborn and you know, my middle brother just doesn't give a fuck. Like he's always just been like, fuck it. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm not like that. Like, I'm like, I've got to be the golden child. And then my youngest, you know, he's kind of a mixture of both of us, but we get there and I was like, God, look, I saw what you did with the money. You've alleviated that for me. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to go first in every group therapy session. Cause it was three other families there. I'm going to go first. I'm going to have the conversations that I need to have. and you're going to have to, you know, restore the family dynamic or at least start it. Because what I realized is I don't have any control. Like I have no control over any of this shit. And, I've, and for my whole life, I've wanted to control how people thought of me, my dad, be, you know, but like, I just got to get honest. And so I did that. And man, after that family week, it was like a weight was lifted off of our family. And in June this year, my dad quit. He's no longer a pastor. My mom is has gone through an amazing year of transformation. My little brothers, my wife and my mom are best friends now. My dad and I, like, I actually had him over the other day and I interviewed him and man, we had an awesome conversation. Like when I could be me and I realized that he could accept me as me is when everything changed for us. And yeah. so like God restored that man. And like, I give him the credit because yeah, yeah, I, I was honest, but like, that's all I could do is be honest and like tell him like yeah, this. He had is nothing left. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's been a, a year of growth and like us coming closer and closer together. And yeah, there's still a bunch of shit that we're all dealing with. And you know, with the church and where do we land here? Like, where what are our beliefs? And life never stops life. Right. But you know? we're closer than ever. That's beautiful. When God did those two things, I was like. I'll serve you forever and I'll, I'll do what you say. And I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you. And, and I know that by me serving you is actually me just being me. It's not me having to like put on the show for you. I can just be myself and you're going to take care of the things. How, you, how are you sleeping nowadays? Bro, I, I sleep good. I think maybe week six, we had a, like I said, we had a psychodrama session, but we had a, an inner child healing. That was the moment that really changed me forever was when I, I told little JB, I was like, look, bro, like, I am sorry. I buried you. Like, this was my way of protecting you. And uh, it wasn't like this crazy moment, but 30 minutes later, we had a guy there. His name's Jake, and he's a frat kid from OU. And, bro, he's one of the funniest people I know. And we had a, an RA there, there, like the guys that stayed overnight with us. And yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like positive, like, he's an, in, an incest baby. Like, <laughs> bro, I swear to God. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but dude, he had one eye going this way and like he was like four foot 10 and he's like probably like six. Gonna keep me in here. Dude, bro. And everyone just fuck with him because he asked for it. Like he would yeah. just freak out. And so Jake did this thing where like for some reason he had like extremely elastic nut skin. And 
dude, he would grab his nuts and like pull them up to his fucking chin. And he was right behind the guy. <laughs> he was right behind the RA. And oh he was like, God. hey, he was like, hey, turn around. The RA turned around and Jake pulls Nuskin out. And the guy was like, oh. And I laughed. And it was like a belly laugh. Yeah. And uh, that was the first time I'd laughed in 10 years. It was like this little me had permission to laugh at what the fuck I wanted to laugh at. Yeah, and dude. in that moment, I was like, it was just like, I'm fucking back. Like, I'm laughing again. And laughing is what healed me. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to laugh at what I want to laugh at. I'm going to say what the fuck I want to say. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be a kid again. And yeah, I'm going to be responsible. But like, that's what healed me was, was that moment. This dude, sometimes all you need is, is just a little bit of God and somebody to have an elastic sack. Yeah, that's God and elastic sacks is all you need. That that's is all you need. the things that healed me, bro. Isn't it so funny how something so childish has yep. helped you become so grown up? Yes, that is mind blowing to think about. That moment is a is a multiverse shift for you. Yes. That's like one of the funniest, most beautiful stories. It's a dude with a sack made of uh, of elastic. I love that, bro. I love that guy. Like, I love that guy. And you guys are still in contact? Oh yeah, we oh, we stayed in contact, and it was me. And then Wes, he was an an eighteen year old guy there, and a guy named Oliver who was seventeen, and I'm like twenty eight, and like, but those were my my three friends, Jake, yeah, Oliver, yeah. Wes. and Oliver. You know, he's a self proclaimed singer. But he does like the the weird Japanese like nah, 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 like oh yeah has, yeah yeah you know? like, and he's like a goth kid but yeah. anger issues but like I love that guy Wes like you know he was just a weird kid all he did was do play with his Rubik's cube and <laughs> like all day and was a genius he was a genius and we became best friends like you would have never met these guys never ever. and then Jake was a frat kid that threw a trash can out of his frat house window and got arrested and got sent to rehab. Like, cause he was so coked out. Like, and I'm saying this because they wouldn't care. And because we're close right. and, I love them. And, and like, those are my best friends there. And the joy that they brought to my life was something I needed. And, uh, we were all fucked up and we still, yeah. we still are, but that's, well, that's the best feeling though. Just to, like, kind of just be around your own people. Like yes. in, at least for like a little part of your life. Yes. To have a group of people healing at the same time, but like you're still all kind of like nuts. It's a great, it's a great, it's kind of a great experience. Dude, it was so at the end of it, like the last four weeks, we would stay up all night. You know, at first I would go to bed at like 8 a.m. and take the medicine they would give me and just like I would isolate. But those yeah. last four weeks where we would stay up and laugh and talk, and it was like I was having the best time of my life locked away in this at this ranch with no contact, you know, which is like, doesn't make any sense, but like kind of being back at college though. It's just yeah. like messed up person college. Yep. Yeah. You, know, you were probably sad leaving. I was, I was sad leaving. It was, it was very mixed feelings. Cause like, I didn't know what was next. I was like, I'm for sure getting fired. Oliver had already left. Wes had, had left a few days before a whole new group of guys were coming in, you know, just cause it's always changing and yeah, yeah. fresh meat, fresh meat. Yeah. I felt like my job was to, you know, love on those new guys and just let them know that stick to the process. It's going to, you know, do the hard work and it's going to be okay. And, you know, Jake was still there, but he got out about a month after me and, you know, it was hard, but, you know, leaving, I still had another month of FMLA 
so being with my wife and I think really getting to know her for the first time, like for so long, I didn't, I didn't know me. So I, how, how can you know someone if you don't know you, you know? And so being able to actually have the energy to have a conversation or do what she wants to do and, you know, go to LA and hang out and go to the beach or whatever, you know, but then my campus pastor calls me. He's like, Hey, can you come meet with me? And I was like, all right, you know, Chloe, I'm about to get fired. And he's like, we want you back here is what he said. And I was like, dude, like, are you sure? Like, I just went to rehab. I've been smoking vapes in your bathroom. Like pretty sure God's pretty pissed. Like, yeah, you know, I'm going to fucking like, burn up as soon as I walk into this place. <laughs> Dude, I went back and I was a youth pastor through March. And really it was just like, I'm not going to say it was like, fuck all these messages and stuff. But like, I just was like, let's just have fun. I'm not going to give a sermon. Like let's have fun. Let's hang out. Let's love on these kids. Cause we don't know where they're at. It's crazy. So many kids would be like, yo, I'm dealing with addiction just from knowing that I, I had addiction problems. Like, right. you know, it, the vulnerability, the safeness of the culture became, this is a place where I can come and be honest. I think that's why I needed to go back for the time that I did because they had seen me at my worst. I was gone healing and I came back at the best I'd ever been. They were like, yo, I, that can be me. And it's weird. Cause like, that's not, you know, church culture, like for a pastor to go to rehab for opioids, but in Adderall and whatever else, but being able to help them for six months, like the relationships were just, it was just such a family. It was rehab at church is kind of how it felt like that same right. culture was. But then also you got to, you got to close that book yes. the way you wanted to, instead of just like, you know, I'm just going to go disappear into the ethos now and kind of have that you know, if you see somebody from there, you're like, oh, last time they saw me, like I was in like rehab. So you kind of got to finish your own story there, which is like, yeah. it got to be a great feeling too. Yeah. Cause I, like you said, I didn't, I didn't do that with football. I hadn't done that every, every other time I'd always just disappeared and tried to whatever, but I had to go back and face that music and be on. I was like the first day I got, I was like, I'm going to be so honest with these kids. Like they need to know that I was in rehab. And so I told him, and, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have been willing to be that honest before, but being able to tell him and grow together was a really important thing for me. And I think for them as well. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm from an older school of like going to church. It was just all about going to hell, baby. That's just what it was. You know, like, it was just like, Hey, if I do this, I'm going to go to hell. If I do that, I'm going to go to hell. Like that's what everything was. Everything right. was hell going to hell. But when it comes to kind of talking about hell on earth, it becomes more relatable, right? So yes. when you start taking out the idea of hell that you see from people that tell you in the church, he's like, I'm going to tell you what hell on earth is. Yep. More people are going to be prone to listen to that because they either yes. know somebody that's in hell on earth or someone that's headed there, or they might be headed there themselves, or they might've got out of hell on earth themselves. Yep, exactly. And someone said a, something that Jesus said was, uh, and I'm not trying to get biblical right now, but yeah, yeah, no. he's got bars. He does. But the translation, I can't remember what he was talking about. I can't remember the verse. Like I'm paraphrasing, but when he was saying hell back then, what it translates to is the trash heap outside of the city, which means that you'll be living in the trash heap outside of the city, which is hell on earth. Yeah. And, but you can also experience heaven on earth. And like, it, it says like, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, well, if I can experience hell, then that means that there's got to be a heaven here as well. 
and being able to be like, yo, like I can be happy, you know. Think about how much of that wasn't possible for you two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. You know, it wasn't even in the realm of possibility. It wasn't. I was scared to face the pain and I couldn't get honest. And I was also, I needed some help from people around me, like my wife, to push me along a little bit. But the only way through the pain is, you know, through the pain. And yeah. you got to sit in it and, you know, you have to heal from it. It's a day at a time, man. You know, I hope you're going a day at a time and just like keeping an eye on yourself. And like I always tell people, like, if you go through a really hard six months, consider yourself blessed. Yes. You know, and be able to actually come through that and get yourself into a situation where you don't want to get back there. I remember that, you know, the month before I went into inpatient was the longest month of my life. I feel like it took like five years off my life. That's just how I feel, you know? But now that I look back and I'm like, damn, that was only a month? Yeah, A lot of things can happen in a month, whether it be negative or positive. So you just got to take it a minute at a time, as cliche as it is. No, I agree with you. And, you know, knowing that, hey, like this is something I deal with and that being aware of how I'm acting, how I'm feeling, like what do I need to do to keep me in a good frame of mind? Like working out is something that I've gotten back into to help me. That helps me a lot to clear my mental and taking inventory is one thing that we learn in rehab, like making things right at the end of the day. Like if I fucked up or I'm not going to keep it in my subconscious, I'm going to get that out of like, you know, if, I say something to my wife or to my dad or to a friend that you know I shouldn't have reacted that way. Like going and being honest, but then also celebrating the good of the day. Yeah, hell so, yeah. So that's helped me a lot is to take an inventory and being honest with myself. Life's all about balance, right? Yeah, bro. It is for the, for the most part. It's about balance, and you're gonna have some times where you know you might say something a little spicy to your dad, or you might say something <laughs> spicy to your wife. It happens. It does. It might become spicy to you. We're, yeah. Like I said, life's going to keep on life and things it happen. Is. So, you know, it, as long as you don't go to sleep with it on your heart, that's the best. That's the best yes. way to deal with it. I agree with you. And that's something I want to practice a little more, too, because like there's sometimes I consider myself a very nice person. But there's some times where I'm just like, yeah, if anybody <laughs> fucking talks to me today, I feel bad for them. It's yep. going to it's going to be a little raffy and I'm going to feel bad about it all throughout the day. Yep. But I'm, I'm a big apologist now. That's that, yes. that's my thing. But now I'm just trying to not put myself in the situation. I have to apologize anyway. Right. Like staying in a, a good frame of mind. And yes. there's a quote. I think the quote is, I think I can't remember who posted it, but it's if you're not speaking it, you're storing it. And like that shit, that shit gets heavy is what it says. And so it's like, I got to get this out of me, you know, even if it's uncomfortable to have a, a phone call or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. I got to have the honest conversation here. Like that's been one thing that as a recovering, you know, people pleaser, I would never have that conversation because that would mean I got to get, I have to get real. And so it's just being real with yourself and being real with others, I think keeps your mindset clear. 100%. And then it's also those things like uh, a lot of people, like when people pleasers, if you apologize, if when it's more true, you don't really care if they accept it or not. Right. You know, it because when it's coming from your heart, you're like, listen, man, you don't have to forgive me, but I need to forgive myself. So I have to just let you know, honestly, where I'm coming from. Yes. You know, we can't expect everyone to just be like, oh, yeah, you're good because everyone is their own person. But if if it's on your heart, that's all. You got to get it off. Yeah. And if we're all going to make mistakes and if they can't accept your apology, then like you did what you could do. Yeah. 
So and if it came from a genuine place, it's yeah. you go to sleep at night. That's what you deal with. Last couple yeah. minutes. We got to talk about this wife of yours. All right. Let's talk about your wife. Are you afraid of your wife in, in a playful way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Me yeah, too. But like, too. but like not like we're best friends, like, but she's like the five foot five woman that rules me. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? She makes the calls, bro. I've, I've learned to trust her. Like every time I don't listen to her, I've, I'm like, damn it. I should have listened to her. So I've learned to, to trust what she says. I would say just the big thing is like for all guys, communicate with your women, but just try not to be egotistical when you do it. That's something I struggle with. You know what I yep. mean? Kind yep. of bring the ego in there. You try to you know, be a provider and then you try to be, it's what you see growing up. Yep. And it's not. That's one thing that, that we've gotten a lot better with, even like the past month is like, when I feel stressed out, I'll tell her. And before I would right. hold it because I, what if she thinks I'm weak or, you know, whatever dumb belief I have. And, and every time I'm honest with the stress that I have going on, whether it's, you know, professionally or relationally or whatever, like, man, she helps me so, so much to like, see it in a different view. Like I attribute most of my healing to her for her being there for me. Like she's helped me so much. Let me tell you something. Anybody that's willing to go toe to toe with somebody's mom. Oh yeah. They're, 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 usually, they're usually keepers. Yes. She's a real you know, one. I hope you, you let her know that. And I'm sure you do. It's also one of those things like honesty is hot. It is. Chicks think honesty is hot. Yes. They like vulnerability, man. They like yeah. vulnerability, man. You know, if, if I only knew this 10 years ago, but I try not to think <laughs> that way too much. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. If I knew all these things 10 years ago, who knows where I would be? Maybe I'd just be a more egotistical, maniacal maniac. Yes. Before I let you go, there's one question I ask everybody. Are you happy today? Man, I am happy. I would say I'm, I have peace and I have joy. Mm-hmm. And or, I think peace is what has brought happiness. Before it was like, there was never any peace. I would say I am happy for the first time in my life, to be honest. So it's a good thing, man. Like I said, minute by minute, minute by minute, minute by minute. Once you start doing like that, that's when I really started to appreciate shit. Yep. For sure. I don't want to cry right now. Yeah. Like once I realized I kind of gave it up to myself and then I, like I said, I always remember being in that room. I'm like, yo, God, if you just get me out of this, dude, I'll change my life. You know what I mean? And, and it's still a, a minute by minute thing, man. Yes. The, the universe, present, man. the present moments, all we have. And it's all you got, man. It's all you really have control over, too, wow. in the yep. moment. So, you know, and then also, where can everybody find you on the internet? Really, as of now, it's just Instagram. I'm about to do my own podcast and just gonna do interviews and just get vulnerable with people, hear their stories but it's at, at JB underscore Copeland. And there that's on Instagram. All so, right. Yeah. So podcast is on the way. Check out JP on Instagram. He posts a lot of great clips on there too. A lot, a lot of great reels. So go and check that stuff out again. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, man. And like I said, once somebody's on this show, their family, if you ever need a favor from us, we're more than willing, just let us know. And uh, again, thank you for taking an hour out of your day and let's stay in touch. Let's do it. And bro, I want you to know my junior year is when you came out with your let me suck your titties, baby. And bro, me and my friends sang that all high school. Yeah, and look where we're at. Like I said, full I <laughs> life is full circle, baby. That's my all favorite that song. It's my favorite song ever.
Thank you so much, man. It's it's people like you that keep my lights on, to be honest. So thank you so much. Yeah, bro. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on, and it was an awesome conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by One on One Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace. Fate, entertainment. Ah!